Broadcasting live worldwide. Ladies and gentlemen, from the studios in the wrestling capital of the South, it's another terrific episode of The Binge Buster Show. Please welcome your host, Tony Binge. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Binge Buster Show. I am excited about this week's show. I know uh, uh, this this month um, our theme has been factions, uh, but I thought I'd take a little break this week uh, from the factions and pro wrestling. And since today is the anniversary of one of the biggest rock and roll festivals in the entire world, the Moscow Music Peace Festival, uh, was a huge two-day event that took place back in 1989. And my good friend Chris Plano and I are going to be breaking that down. And what I like to do right now before I get started on this show is bring on Mr. Chris Plano. Chris, what is going on? Tony, how are you? So excited to be here again, a part of your show this week. And uh, uh, looking forward to our, our topic this week, you know, the, Mo- the Moscow Music Peace Festival. Uh, you know, rings a lot of bells with me back in 1989. It was an exciting time for me. And uh, just had graduated high school and, uh, uh, you know, rock and roll was at a, was at a fever pitch uh, during really all of 1989, especially the, the summer of 89. Yeah. And, uh, man, from like, I, well, I was really into to the metal scene from like 86 to 91 probably but uh right here in 1988 89 it, i think it was probably at the height um of of the um of of popularity uh it seemed like every, there, there was a, a heavy metal band all around the corner uh but only a few survived and we we still get to go see those few uh today i'm talking about bands like motley Crue and poison and bon jovi and those those bands are still around and still rock and rolling well they were until coronavirus hit but we'll talk about that on another on another spot but uh before we get into this podcast chris um as uh as as speaking about the coronavirus it looks like uh you know next week is the day is the week we all been waiting for the schools open back up Absolutely. Yeah, the kids are heading back to school next week, especially here in the state of North Carolina. Uh, we are in a, a plan B phase. Um, some schools have chose to go fully remote. Some have chose to do a, a hybrid of both the remote um, and also some in-classroom instruction. So depending on what county you live in, what city you live in, uh, but it's definitely going to be interesting times for the, the, the public and private schools and colleges and universities and uh um, you know, I, I think it, we're going to learn a lot from this at the end of the day. This is going to be a, a, a lesson learned. I think there's going to see, see some good, some bad, uh, some indifferent. But, uh, you know, it's really it's some trying intense times. And I know if you're – I'm not, I'm not a, a parent, but, uh, you know, if you are a parent, I think you've got to have some nervousness in you, in you as well and uh, you know, a lot happening in the world with this pandemic. Yeah, definitely. I know um, I'm a parent. I have two kids that are in school still. Well, my daughter is starting college, but my son is starting kindergarten. And, uh, yeah, I got them spaced out pretty well. But, um, but yeah, uh, so my wife and I have decided that uh, for the first nine weeks of school, just you know, until we can see how things really, truly are, we've just decided to just um, 
do the uh, remote learning uh, with our son and uh, she, my, my wife runs a daycare so we, we you know there, there's other kids that, that have been in his class since, since they were newborns and uh, now they're five and six years old and starting kindergarten so their parents have 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 made the same decision that we made so they're they're still technically going to be together and what's really neat chris there's three kids in, in my son's class that has been in his class since they were newborns and just so happens i uh, took my son today to go meet his kindergarten teacher and uh Lo and behold, the, the the same three kids that have been together since day one are still together. They're still in the same classroom in kindergarten. Uh, so I'm hoping, you know, at least they get to grow up together. Who knows? Might be the the, the next induction of the full horseman. Who knows? But um, any event, uh, that's that that's what we're doing. We're going to try to keep our little man safe and uh, uh, just stay home nine more, you know, at least nine more weeks and. Hopefully we're on the downside of this coronavirus and maybe hopefully by the winter we can kind of get back to some somewhat, you know, normalcy. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, normalcy is definitely the, the key word. And, you know, I know it's uh, some tough decisions for parents out there of, you know, what to do with your child and no matter what grade level that they're at. And, uh, um, you know, but at the end of the day, I think you got to make what's the right, decision uh and and the most conscious decision for you know your family and their best interest and uh uh but this year is definitely going to look different uh on an academia level uh no matter what what grade you're in yeah definitely definitely so well fans we're going to take a little break and when we come back it's the binge buster show talking moscow music peace festival this week's classic flashback all right, fans, welcome back to the Binge Buster Show as we are going to be talking about the Moscow Music Peace Festival. It was a one-time gathering of high-profile hard rock and roll bands uh, for a performance in Moscow, Soviet Union, uh, and that took place on August the 12th and 13th, 1989 to promote world peace and establish international cooperation in fighting the drug war in Russia. It was part of an era of momentous change in the Soviet Union. Chris, what are your thoughts on the Moscow Music Peace Festival? Boy, this was uh, an interesting uh, event. Um, you know, you know, lugging all these bands around the world over to Moscow for, for a two-day blowout, really, uh, uh, for the hard rockers out there. It was a unique lineup of, of um, you know, of about seven bands in there with a lot of great artists and, 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 and for people in Russia, probably some bands they don't see regularly. We're spoiled here in the United States, obviously when the bands are torn, we sometimes see some of these bands every year or every other year. Um, and they were catching them at a time where these bands were so red hot, you know, on MTV and on, on, on radio and, and coming to Russia for some of them, it was probably bigger than life, uh, you know, seeing these artists, you know, and and in, in their home country, and uh, it was a it was a it was a weekend party for sure. Yeah, and uh, and and Chris, I mean, it was like a who's who of rock and roll during this time. Uh, you know, definitely Doc McGee, who was actually the uh, the manager, and uh, he and a guy named Stas Naman are the are the major players. 
uh, in the Soviet Union and United States that um, actually put together this event. And it was uh, put together by the by the Make a Difference Foundation, um, which was actually Doc McGee and Stas Nauman. I hope I'm saying his name right. But uh, but they um, they uh, put this thing together. Now, Chris, the backstory on this is uh, now this, you know, it's not again. We're not we're we're just going off of of what we've read. We're not saying this is exactly what happened. But but uh, rumor and innuendo is that this was put together uh, to keep Doc McGee out of jail, says that um, he had been involved in a drug scandal and he put this thing together to avoid a jail sentence. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Chris? Yeah, that seems to be the backline story. Was smuggling drugs that seen from Colombia into the United States, uh, whether it was it was pot or, or, or cocaine or whatever it was. And um, but also, Doc McGee didn't, you know, even denied, you know, some of those. Um, uh, rumors that were around and, and facts, but I, I think it was more fact than uh, than fiction, to be honest with you. Um, I think also Doc McGee was trying to maybe save some face um, in, in light of, of, of court sentences and different things and um, came up with this idea as really, I think, uh, a 20-year tribute to what was Woodstock in 1969 to an extent as well and, uh, and, 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 and also, you know, give these bands some some really big time uh, international exposure too yeah for sure now the, the now of course with every um and with every event that is put together there's always backstage turmoil there's always he said she said stuff and the moscow peace festival was uh, no stranger to this as it's been uh told that motley crew have been uh they but they, they went on record stating that they were upset with doc mcgee during this time um, they they felt McGee was favoring Bon Jovi, who he also managed, and of course Motley Crue, uh, you know they 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 didn't care for Bon Jovi, and when Bon Jovi closed the show, uh, they used pyrotechnics, which uh, Motley Crue had been told they could not do. Now the interesting thing about this, when this tour or this um, this festival happened, uh, Bon Jovi had just finished the year before. I had just finished up their last um, tour of uh, the album New Jersey, but Motley Crue was the only band on this bill that had a new album coming out. Because as a matter of fact, Doctor Feelgood came out like two weeks after this event was was uh, was taped. Um, so Motley Crue felt that they should have been the headliners on this show. Uh, Ozzy felt like he should be the headliner because he'd been around longer than any of them. Uh, but at the end of the day, Doc McGee. Uh, and his uh, team of um, of uh, managers and producers chose to have Bon Jovi uh, finish out the bill, but also they had pyrotechnics, which in turn made Tommy Lee mad um, of Motley Crue, and uh, and he went over and punched um, uh, Doc McGee in the face and told him that uh, that he was fired and. And I'm sure that's I'm sure that's that's how uh, the rest of Motley Crue felt when they heard that that Tommy Lee had punched had punched their manager Doug you know Doug Doug Doc, Doc McKee uh, out. Um, Chris, if you was in that position, how 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 would you have handled that? <laughs> um, uh, as Tommy Lee or Doc McGee or both. As Tommy uh, Lee. <laughs> 
I don't know if that's the, the most professional thing to do. Uh, I don't know if that's something I would risk doing in another country, personally. <laughs> no one right. could, uh, God knows what their rules and regulations and be behind bars and breaking the law. And that's probably the last place you want to be is in Russia in jail. Um, but uh, Tommy Lee at that time, those guys were, you know, you know, were on top of the world and rocking and rolling. And, you know, I read that I guess the agreement was none of the bands on the, on the show could have pyrotechnics. And then obviously Bon Jovi ended up having it as the, as the main act that, that particular evening or weekend. And, um, and obviously Motley Crue, a big part of their show is pyrotechnics, but you know, if you go down the line, I, I would say in some way, shape or form, all of those bands probably had some type of pyrotechnics a, at one point in their career, uh, as well. So, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a tough gig because I, you know, they, the bands, I guess at the end of the day, want to try to put on the best show possible for the fans and for Motley Crue, people know fire and fireworks and, 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 and explosions is what makes them on the stage in addition to the music. So, um, and I'm sure there was some ego involved as well. A lot of egos in that weekend event and got John Bon Jovi, Tommy Lee, um, Tom Kiefer, Sebastian Bach, the list goes on and on. And, you know, it's an ego thing too, I think. Yeah, definitely ego thing. Uh, fans, right now we're going to take a little break, let you hear the little commercial that was aired back in 1989 preparing us for this and it actually, Chris, I didn't know this until I, I researched this, but this was actually the Moscow Peace Festival was actually uh, a pay-per-view. You could actually purchase it. And right here is the commercial for that great event. Join us on August 13th to the music event of the year. It's the Moscow Music Peace Festival, and it's only on pay-per-view TV. Join Bon Jovi for a four-hour rock and roll spectacular from Russia with Motley Crue, Scorpions, Gorky Park, Skid Row, Cinderella, and Ozzy Osbourne. It's not on MTV, and it's not on C-SPAN. Call your cable operator now. The Moscow Music Peace Festival, Sunday, August 13th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, and again at midnight Eastern, 9 Pacific. And there it was, fans. I mean, they really definitely, Chris, had the who's who uh, of rock and roll during that time. Um, and of course, uh, the, 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 uh, the peace festival showcased the bands Skid Row, Gorky Park, Cinderella, Motley Crue, Ozzy Osbourne, the Scorpions, Bon Jovi, and of course, Jason Bonham, the son of uh, legendary, uh, Led Zeppelin drummer. Um, Chris, take us, take us back in time as, as this, um, as this show unfolded, uh, and as uh, Skid Row opened up the show, now one of the things that we have to uh, take in, into consideration, they were all on a time a uh, time span, so um, each band uh, only got five to six songs that they could play. Um, they they definitely had at that time being limited on the songs that they could play. You know, they actually had to pick what what they felt was was the best songs that 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 uh, that they could do. Yeah, absolutely. They definitely uh, were on some, some time limits, these bands. I, I see some played as minimal as, as six songs. I see some eight, nine in the set, eight, ten, eleven, eleven. So it was a very, especially if you're one of the first couple of bands. So, And I, I think they wanted to, to pick not only a, a good mix for the fans, obviously they want to make sure they have their core hits, 
in the set list, you know, strategically placed, but, you know, maybe even throw a curveball at him a little bit too. And, you know, and I think they also, a lot of these guys were basing it on what was being played internationally for their bands as well, which sometimes does change a little bit from band to band based on what's being played here in the U S what's being played overseas. Cause sometimes there are some more popular songs that are overseas that may not be as popular here or, or vice versa. Yeah. And, and Chris, one of the things I like to uh, mention here, Skid Row was the opening act on this show and, um, they were a fairly new band. I mean, when, when the peace festival came out and they went over to Russia, uh, their big hit during that time was youth gone wild. And of course that's a song that they used to, uh, finish out their, uh, their, uh, their, uh, set there. Uh, it started out with making a mess. They played, uh, you know, piece of me, big guns, 18 in life, youth gone wild. And they also done a cover of the sex Pistols song holidays in the sun. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems almost, um, almost every band or the majority of them did some kind of cover song, especially in the first few acts. But I mean, if, if all their gig and I'm, I'm figuring by looking at this, they were probably on stage anywhere from 25 to 30 minutes, maybe. So yep. they squeeze six songs in obviously 18 in life, youth gone wild are, are, are staples on the set list. Same with piece of me as well. And, you know, mix it up and, and at that time, probably the Sex Pistols were 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 still a, a huge following over overseas, and maybe a good selection to uh, um, you know plug into their set to change it up a little bit with the fans. Yeah. Now an, another new band uh, that I never heard of until I watched the uh, Moscow Peace Festival was the band Gorky Park. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> um, not much background on them, to be honest with you. I know they had, a, they did have a couple of more songs they played than, than Skid Row uh, there, but um, they did play a Who cover song of my generation, which I'm sure any fan could relate to. But um, um, you know, looks like they played a lot of their original stuff for the fans, and probably a good spot for them on the show, um, and it probably had a very good following, you know, overseas as well. Yeah, definitely. Now the next band, uh, is a band that I have got to see live multiple times. Uh, I'm sad to hear they're, that they're no longer, uh, together touring, but the band Cinderella, Chris, you and I have seen them together many times. Oh. Uh, they put on a tremendous show and, um, unfortunately their egos, I guess, keeps them apart these days, but, uh, they played some of their, I think the, the biggest hits they ever had, except for, uh, don't know what you got till it's gone, um, but they uh, they uh, really rocked out here at the uh, Peace Festival. They did, and you know Tom Kiefer and the boys are always going to put a show on. Um, uh, uh, you know, sure, sure, it emanated with the fans. Um, pretty much hits from top to bottom. <laughs> yeah, set list uh, that they uh, had all of their original stuff. Um, you know, and really, I think you know if they were still touring today all of those nine songs are are, are staples still in their set list today um you know um mysteriously uh, never know what you got till it's gone is not in the set list maybe it wasn't that type of crowd not sure you know it's uh it's a long song you just never know where they were at with it and, and maybe they only had nine they could squeeze into the set um 
But, uh, you know, you got to love it, man. I mean, you know, somebody saved me, push, push, the last mile, coming home, Gypsy Road, Nobody's Fool, Shake Me. I mean, they're all hits, and I think, you know, definitely we're probably hardcore rocking out, you know. Uh, may even held up the show a little bit. When Cinderella takes the stage, they are known sometimes to hold up a show for the oh, next yeah. band. Um, you know, and, I, and, and, and they did do that. I believe they've done it several times that I've seen them. You know, Cinderella used to always open up for, for Poison, and you kind of think, wow, holy crap, how's Poison going to top this? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, but each band has their own style. But, you know, Tom Keeper always, um, you know, likes to put his touches on, on his shows. Yeah, yeah, Tom Tom was always a good uh, a good showman, good a great guitarist, great singer. Um, you know, if you never had a chance to see Cinderella, you can't see him now. So go on YouTube and search out a Cinderella concert. I promise you'll uh, you'll definitely enjoy it. Now, the next one is the one I look forward to the whole time. I I remember Chris when this was um uh, when this was going on, a radio local radio station where I lived at the time, uh, they were actually uh, playing the Moscow Peace Festival over their their live broadcast, and um, I remember actually hearing for the first time Motley Crue play "Looks That Kill," and I heard them play "Wild Side" before the uh, the radio station. Uh, it, they, they were having technical difficulties. But I did get to hear a couple of live Motley Crue tunes, and I was excited about that. Uh, but Motley Crue definitely uh, played some of their their at the time their their heavier, uh, well known hits like uh, "All in the Name of," "Live Wire," "Shout the Devil," "Looks to Kill," "Wild Side," "Smoking in the Boys' Room," "Girls, Girls, Girls," and they finished it out with "Jailhouse Rock," the Elvis Presley cover. Um, you know, I think the crew put on a really good show, and incidentally. Uh, if you fans don't know this, the Moscow Music Peace Festival was the very first concert that Motley Crue ever played sober. Wow. Unreal. That is, uh, um, uh, well, hey, they got their pay. <laughs> they got their pay. That's right. <laughs> hey, and, uh, you know, they, they did play eight, an eight song set. Um, you know, again, all staples in the set. I mean, obviously, Jailhouse Rock. Um, playing an Elvis Presley cover, not sure where that was coming from, with them having so much material. I know they were on the, uh, just coming up with the Dr. Feelgood album being released, but, um, but hey, they, they, they finished with a cover, maybe not traditional Motley Crue, but maybe for this particular show it was, and again, just throwing another curveball at the fans. Um, it'd be interesting to see how many times they might have played Jailhouse Rock throughout their career, probably maybe not that many times, or you know, for a long period of time, but, you know, an interesting set, you know, probably enough to keep them on stage. I would say about, you know, 45 minutes, 40 to 45 minutes, I would say. Yeah, definitely. So, and then, uh, after the crew took left the stage, we got the, probably the, the wildest and definitely the oldest act, uh, even though at the time he was only in his forties, but, um, Ozzy Osbourne and he, uh, really took the stage. He not only played some Ozzy stuff, but he broke out some old school Black Sabbath, and at the, during the time, his drummer—I'm sorry, his guitarist—was Zach Wild. And incidentally, the drummer he had during this show 
was Randy Castillo, who actually was a drummer for Motley Crue during the time, one of the times Tommy Lee left the band. So, um, you know, re- really cool here. Ozzy done some great tunes like um, I Don't Know, Flying High Again. Uh, then he cuts into some Black Sabbath, War Pig, Sweet Leaf, Crazy Train, and he ended the show with uh, Paranoid. Um, Ozzy really, really put on. I mean, he he put his heart and soul uh, on the, you know at, at at this show. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, playing the hits, playing what everybody wants to hear, obviously off of the radio at this time, and throwing in a couple of Black Sabbath songs as well. I mean, you know, got Crazy Train, Paranoid, Shot in the Dark. I mean, um, Flying High again. I mean, it, 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 people can resonate with all of them, and you know, being classic Ozzy not going to shortchange anyone and you're, you're going to get a show and you know uh, um, um, for him the exposure you know he was he's already been international several times so for him you know it was great and yeah you're right he was the old man in the locker room as well yeah but hey at 40 that's still not that bad either no in his 40s. Yeah. he was he was definitely uh definitely put on the show uh then after uh ozzy left the stage we get uh the scorpions who was actually a you know a, an overseas band that have made it big here in the here in the u.s uh they rocked out a lot of their their hits like big city nights uh no one like you uh still loving you and of course their biggest hit i think to date rock you like a hurricane and they even threw in a russian folk song called the song of the volga boatman and um but uh, Scorpions, you know, they uh, done a tremendous job. Um, didn't I, I, I'm sure they uh, didn't leave leave the crowd there, uh, you know, upset for sure. No, absolutely. I mean, again, you know, um, you know, having the longest set on the show next to Bon Jovi, you know, again having their their staple hits in there, throwing the Russian folk song in there. I'm sure that resonated well with the fans. Probably a sing along. I, I would sure if not the whole time, but the majority of the song and, uh, you know, Hey, doing their thing, you know, the, the, you know, the show is rolling on, you know, they know they're right before them, the main act. And, um, you know, you know, at this time, you know, wanting to just, you know, give the best show they can for them. And, and for the Scorpions, you know, you know, a band that doesn't really, at least in my mind, tour a whole heck of a lot and, and, you know, a great time to catch them and, you know, and overseas, I think it was just a, a great opportunity for the people to to be of something that was that was historic and and for the bands as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I've I've always been a Scorpions fan. I mean, the, they don't have a lot of songs that I like, but they do have quite a few that I enjoy. And uh, you know, and you know, a great band in concert, and right here was was a definitely prime example of that. Then it takes us to um, the headliner, Bon Jovi. Uh, they they really poured it all out, and of course, as we note, noted earlier, they even snuck in a little pyro somehow. But we had Bon Jovi uh, playing all of their hits. Man, lay your hands on me. Uh, you give love a bad name. Want the dead or alive? Living on a prayer. Bad medicine, and many more. Uh, but John really. Uh, stole the show even uh he actually um came through the crowd 
which there in itself is uh is is crazy to know that all those thousands of people that were on hand had been in that stadium all day long and now this is probably 10 or 11 o'clock at night and you know you would think that the the fans had had enough after all the other bands had played but they were still hanging out still want more rock and roll and bon jovi definitely gave it to them absolutely and you know and hats off i mean they were i mean Bon Jovi in 89 was, 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 was roasting hot as a band and coming off of, you know, hit after hit album wise with off of MTV and, 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 you know, I mean, those are some power hits that you're, you know, you know, you're talking about there when you're talking about, uh, you know, you give love a bad name, living on a prayer, bad medicine, wanted dead or alive. I mean, those are huge MTV songs. I'll be there for you. The girls love that song. Um, you know, and then, uh, lay your hands on me. I mean, I mean, they, they played the hits that people wanted to hear, you know, and, uh, and, and, and as always, you want to go out on top some fireworks at the end and, uh, even also a jam session at the end of, of their set as well with, uh, with a few other twists and turns and surprises for the fans to, to leave everyone, you know, going home happy and on, and on a high note. Yeah. And, uh, one of the cool things, Chris, uh, when you go to a Bon Jovi show, their song, You Give Love a Bad Name, every single person in America can relate to that song. Because <laughs> you always had that one girl or that one guy that you've dated or been with or whatever, uh, and you're like, man, that person gives love a bad name because they're just a piece of work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, God, I mean, I mean, I, I would have loved to have been there, man. I mean, I think it would. It, it, I mean, it, it, I think if you say you left disappointed from that event, I don't. <laughs> you weren't at that event because you know if they left out a song or two, the bands they were limited, obviously time wise. But just to see all of them, you know, in, in one weekend or even more than once that weekend. I mean, I think you, you caught a you caught a hell of a show, and um, you know, and you know what a great time. To, to be a rock and roll fan and uh, even that jam session afterwards was interesting and just other surprises because fans won't be able to see that on a regular concert tour. They won't be doing that kind of stuff. No, definitely not. And uh, incidentally, fans, during the uh, the jam session that Chris is talking about, um, they had they had three different jam sessions. The first one, uh, it, it just it kept going. It was Bon Jovi when they left the stage after Bad Medicine. They came back out for like an encore and done Hound Dog with Elvis Presley. And it was actually members of Bon Jovi, Cinderella, and Scorpions doing that song. And then um, the Scorpions, Gorky Park, and David Bryan um, came out and done Long Tall Sally and Blue Suede Shoes. And during... One of those two songs was uh, was actually the time that Tommy uh, had actually gotten into it with uh, with uh, Doug Thaler. I'm sorry, not Doug Thaler, uh, Doc McGee, um, and and punched him out. So during that time was was when this altercation was happening um, because when they come out uh, the to the, the last song of the night was Rock and Roll, a Led Zeppelin cover. And that song was done by Skid Row, Motley Crue, Zach Wilde, and Jason Bonham on the drums. And it was supposed to be Jason Bonham and Tommy Lee, two drummers at the same time. And if you go back and watch the show, you can hear uh, Sebastian Bach introduces Jason Bonham on the drums. 
This was the first time I ever even heard of Jason Bonham. And I think this might have been his introduction to, you know, the mainstream music. But uh, you can hear Vince go, hey, where's Tommy? You know, off in the distance. And then they just, well, they can't, they don't see Tommy. So they got to play, you know, they got to end the show. Um, So Tommy doesn't even come out and play uh, the jam session. And it's because he was in the back fighting with uh, Doc, with uh, Doc McGee and firing him at the same time. God, Doc missed the jam session, at least the end of it. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, no, I mean, great, you know, great songs to pick. Great way to end rock and roll. A young Jason Bonham there. I mean, he has to be in his early to mid-20s, I would say, uh, uh, back then. Um, but, no, great introduction. And, uh, you know, people can resonate with that stuff, you know, and, and got to hear yeah, you know, another Elvis Presley song and, and, and a Zeppelin song. And, and, obviously, Zeppelin was worldwide no matter what. Um, and so, I mean, you'll, you'll never see those kind of mix of acts on stage probably ever, you know, not in today's concert makeup and the way things are designed you would never probably see something like that um you know at all if, if any no definitely not and uh but but you know as as we touched on at the beginning of the show with every um every big event there's always some issues underlying issues and this one definitely had tons because this concert um showcased the ego clashes which eventually helped lead to the collapse of glam metal shortly thereafter um, whenever this, um, you know, in 1989, uh, we're in the summer of 1989 when this show took place and, uh, glam metal, uh, hair metal, whatever you want to call it. Um, it lasted another maybe year and a half, two years. It definitely lasted through 1990. Um, uh, but definitely 1990 saw the downside of hair metal because by 91, 92, uh, Nirvana came in and pretty much killed um hair metal for many years um but uh some of the uh some of the um egos uh that were in the back uh was uh many bands argued over who was going to go on before the next one and many were envious of bon jovi who not only headlined the event and was far more considered to be more pop than hard rock and heavy metal uh, but also he had a much more theatrical stage spectacle and longer set times than any of the other bands. Um, and of course this, this led to the falling out between Motley Crue and, uh, and Doc McGee. Uh, but also, um, Ozzy Osbourne threatened to not go out on stage uh, and play, um, because he felt that that he was calculated to be a better than you know any of the other bands because he'd been around longer than any of the other bands, um, but Ozzy's set was initially scheduled to be before Motley Crue, but Ozzy felt that his band was bigger and should go on at least after Motley Crue. Uh, so to solve the problem, Motley Crue went on before Ozzy. But if you go back and watch the tape of of on MTV they will actually show Ozzy and then Motley Crue. Um, unfortunately, that wasn't how it happened there, in, you know, in, in real life and live, you know, live stuff. Um, Chris, wh- what are your thoughts on, on this, on these egos? Yeah, I mean, I think it was just a time in, in, in rock and roll where, you know, you, you get, you get a bunch of guys in a room and, <laughs> You know, one person says one thing, and then it's, it's you know, the, who's going to cast the first stone, and then it's it's off and running. 
from there. You know, uh, I mean, and that's just the way it was. I and mean, these guys were making big money back then. And, um, you know, and, you know, Ozzy has a gripe because he's the oldest in the room. And, well, who's got the bigger hits on MTV currently? And who's been around longer and this and that? And, you know, who's sober? Who's stoned? <laughs> it's, just, mm-hmm. uh, it's, a, it's a hodgepodge of... Uh, a bunch of male testosterone in one big room at a stadium <laughs> seeing who's going on next. And, you know, it's, they know this is a one-off kind of event and, you know, everybody wants to be the main act, but unfortunately only one person could be the main act when you got, you know, you know, six, seven bands on a bill. So you got to be flexible as well. And they're all vying for that, for that stage time. Yeah. Now, uh, one of the cool things, um, that uh, a cool thing that did happen after this uh, big concert was all the bands were actually, they all went into the studio and recorded a song, um, you know, that, that was like a cover of, of, of someone, uh, some former uh, musician that had died of either drug or alcohol-related death. Uh, the name of the album was called um, Stairway to Heaven, Highway to Hell, uh, and it was made by the Make a Difference Foundation. Um, each band recorded a song originally by some famous rock artist who had suffered a drug or alcohol related death. Uh, some of the songs, uh, were from the who the sex pistols, Jimi Hendrix, Tommy Boland, thin Lizzie, Janis Joplin, along with a collaboration for Led Zeppelin's Moby Dick, uh, by Jason Bonham and a live collaboration where the bands performed a medley of Elvis Presley and Led Zeppelin songs. So if, if you were able to buy this album, uh, the jam session was actually included on this album, which I think is really cool. And Chris, when I was doing my research on this, I went on eBay because a lot of times you can find anything on eBay. And I actually found a copy of this album, Stairway to Heaven, Highway to Hill, and I ordered it. <laughs> so I should have it here next couple of go. days. So I'm excited to get that and uh, get it uploaded on my iTunes and uh, jam that out while I'm at work. But, uh, all in all, man, the Moscow Peace Festival, even though it had a lot of bull crap attached to it behind the scenes, it was still a really good concert. Yeah, no, it was a great lineup. Um, I mean, if you were, had the opportunity to be there, I know I would have been there. And, um, you know, some of those bands I've never seen live and in person. So, I mean, there's a, you know, I've never seen Scorpions live. And, you know, it's so, yeah, an opportunity for the fans because, you know, I think back then, you know, I know some of these bands were doing international tours, but some of them weren't in or they weren't coming around regularly. So, you know, if they're, if they're there, you, you got to almost be a part of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was a, it was a definite fun time. It was a good time to be a rock and roll fan. That's for sure. And, um, I, I mean, Chris, could you imagine how great this, this concert would be today, uh, with all the, um, with all the technology that we have that we're able to, you know, see this stuff and have clearer, um, more, um, you know, better audio and video, uh, this, this, if, if this took place today, it would be a major concert for sure. Oh, absolutely. I think there'd be plenty of opportunity for, uh, uh, pyro lasers, uh, light sound for most of the bands. I think everyone would be pleased no matter you know, what it was like today with today's technology. Uh, but like you mentioned a couple minutes ago, too, this was also kind of, you know, the downward trend for, uh, the, you know, the hair metal, glam metal music as it was creeping into the 90s and, and into the early 90s and with, with a lot of other bands kind of, you know, hitting the scene. And uh, But, hey, 
but for that for that moment, that day, and that weekend in time, it was it was their it was their uh, floor. Yeah, definitely so. Well, fans, thank you for joining us for the Binge Buster Show this week. I know we kind of took a step away from pro wrestling, and uh, but I thought it'd be a, a good time to. As a matter of fact, Chris and I had planned on uh, another topic, and I called him today and said, "Hey, uh, we're changing it." I I just found out today's the anniversary of the Moscow Music Peace Festival, so let's uh, do a show on that. Uh, so we did, and next week, fans. Um, my co-host is going away. Uh, he's taking a little vacation, much needed vacation, because uh, I've been wearing him out on these podcasts. But uh, Chris, I'm excited for you, man. I'm, I'm glad that you're getting to go to have a little R and R, uh, and 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 man, I'm I'm excited for you. Oh man, yeah, we're gonna uh, you know take off for a few days. It's been a it's been a long 2020, believe it or not. Even though we're into August, still got four months to go, but. Uh, Gonna tiptoe out and, uh, and 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 then break away from the house a little bit and from work and decompress and recharge the battery and uh, and, and and get ready for uh, you know the rest of this month and into the and we head into the fall month and you know what the rest of twenty twenty is gonna look like. Yeah, it's gonna be good. But fans, just because Chris is on vacation, I'm still gonna be here doing the podcast. Uh, next week, I've got a guest lined up. We're gonna be talking about. His um how how he got into pro wrestling, he is definitely like myself. He is a George South guy, uh, trained by George South. He was George South's right hand man for many many years, and uh, he's going to be on the podcast next week. I am talking about none other than Baron Bullard, um the um the Pembroke Pitbull, uh, super nice guy. Chris, I don't know if you ever had a chance to work with Baron, but. Man, he is a first-class act all the way, uh, and I'm looking forward to uh, to getting him, sitting down with him and catching up. And, you know, he and I were uh, on the road together uh, for several years uh, doing shows with George for George and, uh, man, just learning, learning our way in the wrestling business. And, man, I, I can't wait for you guys to hear Baron's story. Absolutely. I'm sure it'll be a, a classic and, and some laughs as well. And, uh, and some, uh, some old-time stories, too. And, uh, you know, it's, it's always good to hear some George South stuff as well. You never know what's going to come out. Exactly. Well, fans, thank you for joining us this week. And we will see you next week for myself and Chris Plano. We will see you next week on the Binge Buster Show. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you for listening to The Binge Buster Show. Make sure you like us on Facebook and download us on your favorite podcast platform.